We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church in Eden. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Hey, uh, before you're seated, if you're standing next to the most attractive person in the church, would you just wave your hand at me? Hey, if the person next to you didn't raise your hand, just stare him down right now. Something's wrong with you. Tell the person next to you, Jesus loves you like crazy, and you can be seated. It's a joy to be with you in your beautiful city. And a uh, beautiful time of year. I think the, the last time I've been here was winter. And uh, so I'm enjoying this summer day. Your summer days are like our winter days in Phoenix, Arizona. But it's a, a joy to be with you guys and to celebrate God, His goodness, and uh, to dedicate the beautiful baby. Wasn't that fun? Speaking of babies, I don't know if the guys are able to do it, but I this past summer we added to our collection of grandchildren i had the soup i had the fab five for eight years so five grandkids but last year we added two beautiful baby girls uh, dakota and rose rosie and uh i think i might have a picture to put on the screen there they are right there and uh there's dakota and rose that's from last week or two weeks ago and so I've got to tell you a cool story. They're, they're a month apart, and both my sons had little girls. So I was in California. Rosie's on the left. Dakota's on the right there. And Dakota, she lives in Phoenix with her parents. And she sits to the whole service, the front row. My wife just holds her, staring up at her poppy. But uh, Rosie lives in Southern California in Laguna Beach, a beautiful city in California. And she, uh, when she was born last summer, my son, she was born at the Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach overlooking the Pacific Ocean. It was a kind of breathtaking environment. We're on the seventh floor, and she was born in the afternoon. And my son, they didn't know if they'd have a boy or a girl, so they, it was exciting to find out she was a little girl. And when she was born, my son said, Dad, her name is Rose Moon Maiden. I said, what? I got the first name and the last name. What was the middle name again? Rose Moon. You mean like the moon? Yeah, because I love her to the moon and back. And so I spent the next half an hour gently trying to persuade my son <laughs> that, that that name might lead to some, you know, grade school difficulty where kids find out you're named after the moon. And he said, no, my, my son's an artist. He's a musician. I said, no, he's a rose moon. I said, okay, okay. I'll learn to love the name as much as I love the baby. And so little Rosie, so that night it was, uh, we're in the room, and the sun is, a, excuse me, the moon is glistening over the Pacific Ocean. It's a full moon, and the nurse tells us, you know, it's a full moon tonight. In America, we call it a harvest moon for the summertime, harvest, full moon. But she said in Europe, they call it a rose moon. So then I got slain in the Holy Spirit. So, I said, Lord, forgive me for tampering with my granddaughter's destiny. So that's uh, Rose Moon, Dakota James with uh, Poppy. And uh, just so blessed to have, uh, you know, that it's just grandchildren are just such a great gift. And I have so much fun. The, the oldest, the older five, the, their ages from 13 to 8. 
I guess 13 and the 9 now. So I take them on dates. I've been doing this for years, just me and them. And uh, when they were littler, their parents would all be worried, you know. Um, but now we, we go to a, a place called Dave and Buzzers. It's a big video arcade. They have bowling. They have restaurants. And, and so we just go there. And, and uh, it's amazing how much money you can spend at a video arcade. That's what I was with, with five active children. I remember calling my wife, honey, I've gone over budget on this date. But we spent a few hours in the arcade, then we had dinner, and then we got some hot cocoa at Starbucks, which is an American coffee shop, I know. Um, you have the best coffee in the world here. And then we went and saw a movie, and eight and a half hours, eight and a half hours later, I came home and collapsed in my bed <laughs> after a date with my grandchildren. So I'm, they're, uh, they're awesome, and, and I'm just really enjoying them. Grandkids are so great. If I would have known how great grandkids were, I would have skipped the kids and gone right for the grandkids. <laughs> and uh, just kidding, I, I love my kids. Hey, I'm kind of excited today, Pastor Will, I, you know, on the, on the flight here uh, yesterday. And um, it was good. You know, I should have been sleeping um, on the flight from Auckland to here. But the Lord started speaking to me. It was really cool. And he gave me a little message called, How to Kill a Giant. So I'm going to preach this for the first time anywhere in the world. Right here in Dunedin, Australia, or New Zealand, excuse me. Just checking. How to kill a giant. Our text will be 1 Samuel 17. It's a story of David and Goliath, and I'm actually going to, the Lord's been downloading a book about this. So I'm excited. Next time I see it, um, I do have... Um, can you hear my, my briefcase for a second there, Sean? I just want to grab something out of it. For I wrote in the last uh, year, a few months ago, I published a book, thank you, called God of the Comeback. And uh, I, I only brought enough to give to my pastor friends, including Pastor Will. But this is my uh, kind of life story. And Bill Johnson, Benny Perez, Samuel Rodriguez, some of my friends wrote uh, endorsements for it. It's about don't give up. Give God the chance to write a good ending to your story. So, Pastor, well, I want to give you this copy of uh, my book. It, I don't think it's a great book, but it's an honest book, um, which is, uh, in fact, it's so honest, the publisher had to change names in it so I wouldn't be sued. So it was kind of cool. First Samuel 17, the Philistines, verse 1, and their armies were gathered together to battle. They were at Sokoth, which is in Judah. They encamped between Sokoth and Ezekah. And Saul and the men of Israel gathered together. They encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in the battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. So they're both on sides of a mountain, and they would fight in the valley during the daytime. And verse 4 then introduces a problem to Israel. Because the Philistines had an advantage because they had a giant. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. So Goliath's name means to strip as a captive. It's the idea of winter. To spend the winter to shame. So his name literally means to cause shame by stripping someone. By taking their coat off like the trees lose their, their the coat of their beautiful green leaves stripped away in the winter. So here's Goliath. He's 
six and you know uh, six cubits in a span. So he's somewhere between nine and a half and eleven feet tall, as we measure the, a man's hand. And so it gives us some some fascinating. The tip of his spear weighed eight pounds. His spear was like a beam. And so the Bible gives us all this definition about him. Just a couple points. The only reason God shows us how bad something is is, that, is so that he can show us how good he wants to make it. And God doesn't need us to be experts on what the devil is doing. He wants us to be experts on what he can do. But the Bible does include, though, a defining aspect of this giant so that we'll see how massive the miracle of God's salvation is. The chapter begins by Goliath. It ends with David's victory. So verse 8 says, He stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said, Why do you come up to fight? Am I not a Philistine? Are you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will be your servants. But if I fight and kill him, you will be our servants. That was in practice and antiquity when they would pick these champions. Instead of the whole, the whole armies fighting each other, they would have one person fight another person representing the whole battle and uh, when you felt like you had the advantage of course they would want to do that so he does this for 40 days so 40 in the bible is a number of testing number of temptations number of consequence so 40 days twice a day morning and afternoon goliath would rumble out and challenge israel after their after their morning battles and for 40 days israel didn't answer back so Israel's silent under the assault of his words. Verse 11 says, When Saul and Israel heard, these, heard the words of Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So the word dismayed is kothoth in the Hebrew. It means to break someone down either by violence, confusion, or fear. To break someone down. So it is the, 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 it is the ongoing assault of a heavy intense season that eventually starts to dismantle our our identity our strength our faith our courage so breaking someone down to despair to be crushed to discourage so he represents the powerful discouragement that trials that storms that giants that difficulties bring into our life and so he's there then the then the, the, the chapter kind of introduces David so Kind of fast forward, David's bringing, he's just a teenager. David's come to bring his two or three older brothers lunch. So he's come to now this arrangement. He happens to hear Goliath in one of his midday speeches. So David shows up, but David's different because David thinks differently. And he has not been corrupted by the fearful cowardice of the culture that surrounded Israel. He wasn't filled with fear and unbelief and doubt yet. And so he had been worshiping God and spending time with God. And so he thought differently. So here's my first point. David didn't defeat Goliath because of the way he fought. He defeated the giant by the way he thought. So we're called to think victoriously. So the Bible tells this in, in Romans 8, we're more than conquerors. That is a great word. Kuperneikeo, it means super, abundant, hyper, victorious. So you can't get more victorious than super victorious, okay? So the Bible says you are more than a conqueror. The Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The Bible says greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. 
The Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Anybody saved has the DNA of Christ, an overcoming DNA. And so the Bible then is how we retrain, we renew our minds until we're in alignment with God. And the more we think in concert with God, the more miracles we'll have in our story, the more testimonies, the more breakthroughs. See, a breakthrough is not just when God does something for you. A breakthrough is when you see God can do it. When you see it, you believe it, and you think. And so we, we will have a proportional experience in the kingdom of God according to how much we renew our minds. We will experience as much of the kingdom of God to the degree that we have renewed our minds with God's word. So David thought differently than the culture that he was around. God, help us to think differently and escape the imprisoning deceptions that are all around us that cause Christians who are world changers, who are history makers, who are giant slayers, to, to sit passively thinking they can't make, oh, a, a, a few months ago, there was a big, a big brouhaha in the States because thousands of witches were getting together on a weekend to curse the president, our president. And uh, they were, you know, they, they were, the TV was showing them their spells, their, their enchantments, and all their protocol. And uh, so I'm getting all these emails. Pastor, please, we got upset. I, I, I had to calm everybody down. I said, if there's a million of them and only one believer, one believer has more authority in the earth than a million witches, a million warlocks, a million Satanists, a million. We have authority. So what happens in the story is, I, I, I'm just going to have to tell some of it to you. Da David, he, he, he talks differently, so he's noticed. And so how he talked was, he said this, what do you get for killing that guy? And they said, well, you get two things. You get the king's daughter and you get no taxes. He said, no taxes, you know. Bingo, no taxes. And so I just want to remind you, because sometimes, especially in a religious mindset, we ask people to do things and we strip from that obedience reward. But God is a rewarder. God is a reward. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is. Most Christians, in fact, all Christians, you know, stand in that. Yeah, I believe God is. But the second point is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Why do I pray? Not because of some devotional thing or because God's asked for it. Now I'm being obedient. I pray because God answers prayer. And so when we strip from obedience the promise of reward, we unmotivate people. We, we push everything to heaven. I believe in heavenly rewards, by the way. But here's what Jesus said. He stood up on the mountain. In Matthew 5, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty. He said, You get a blessed life when you do this behavior. So he said, You get earthly rewards for heavenly behavior as well as heavenly rewards for earthly behavior. We get it. God's a rewarder. It pays to serve God. God loves to answer prayer. God loves to do miracles. God loves to intervene in your story. So David was thinking in terms of, of, of the outcome already done. 
of the reward. Well, people say, well, Pastor, what if someone does it for the wrong motivation? Well, just let God take care of all that. Let God take care of all of that. But God does. He's a rewarder. Well, David thought differently. My third point is this. David eventually has brought to King Saul, and King Saul says to him, oh, young man, I don't think you can do this. And David said, you don't understand. I have a testimony. And he said, as I was keeping my father's sheep, one day a bear came. And the Spirit of God came upon me, and I killed that bear and delivered a lamb. Another day a lion came, and God's Spirit came upon me, and I killed that lion. And he said, it makes sense to me that if God can deliver me from a lion and a bear, he could deliver me from that giant. So he used the testimony of God's faithfulness in his past to leap into the miracle activity, the miracle obedience of a new season. Your testimony has power. When you're in trouble, remind yourself of your testimony. When you're facing a giant, remind yourself of your testimony. When things are hard, remind yourself of your testimony. And so he won Saul's confidence by that testimony. And then Saul said, well, here's my armor. Try this on. And, of course, we think Saul was around six foot five, and David was, was perhaps about a foot shorter. And so David tries on the armor, and it doesn't fit. And the simple point is this. Never let someone who hasn't done it discourage you from doing it. So it's, it's important because when people haven't done things, one of the things they often do is they have all kinds of advice. But if you want a good marriage, talk to people that have good marriages. If you want a good business, talk to people that have succeeded. If you want to be successful in life, whatever it is, then we want to gain and learn and be mentored by people that have done it. Never let someone who's given up on their dream discourage you from following yours. And David said, this stuff doesn't fit. Thank you, Saul, it doesn't fit. I can't wear it. I can't use it. And so the, the Bible says that David then remarkably, so David has a weapon. It's an uncon unconventional weapon. It's a slingshot. He has a sling. So it's cool. We think that a... Um, I've actually seen some demonstrations. A slingshot can, f can go about half the speed of a 22 caliber bullet. It's amazing how powerful it can, um, it, it can fly across the world. So but he, he looks in the ground. He's searching for the ground for a very specific weapon, though. He's looking for smooth stones. So David, the Bible says, David found five smooth stones. There's a lot there. Five is the number in the Bible, kind of. Uh, uh, that symbolizes grace, God's grace for us through Christ Jesus. And there's a lot to it, a lot of biblical narrative related to five, but I just want to talk about five smooth stones. So, so, so the only way a stone is made smooth is by the rigorous and continual application of some smoothing agent, usually water. So wherever there's been a brook, an ocean, some kind of a waterfall, whatever there's been access, a rock, over time, that rock loses its edges, loses its, its uh, sharpness, and becomes rounded. And so here, here's the powerful result that, I, that God spoke to me about. Understand the importance and the power of letting the Lord make you Christ-like. There is power in Christ-likeness. What, what, what he's saying, well, all of us, see, we're the church. The Bible calls us living stones. And so we come to church to become more like Christ. 
the, the greatest purpose of our lives together, we all share this purpose. We're, call, we're all called to be like Jesus. We were predestined. The Bible says, whom we foreknew, we foreknew it. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of the Son, Romans 8, that Christ might be the firstborn of many brethren, whom he predestined, he called, whom he called to justify, whom he justified, he glorified. I've been predestined to be like Jesus. And so that means that God will use anything at his disposal to give me a chance to be more like Jesus. So stop asking God to take you out of environments that God designed to make you like Jesus. Instead of praying, God, I, my, the place where I work is filled with ungodly people. And God says, yeah, what's the problem? You're supposed to be there to witness to, to them, to shine. But I'm going to help you become more like my son there. Everyone wants to be like Jesus. Nobody wants any irritation. Everybody wants to win great battles or great victories. Nobody wants battles. So, so we have to understand in life, God's goal for you is, is, is Christ-likeness not just comfort and not just uh, uh, ease. And so whatever it takes, amen, whatever it takes. So, uh, uh, you know, God taught me about forgiveness by having my heart broken, by being betrayed, by having some vicious things happen in my life. And so I learned to be Christ-like in a very unchrist-like moment and season. And still, it's the truth, it's truth for all of us, okay? He that has begun a good work in you will finish it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, talking about uh, Christ and talking about our stories. It says, seeing that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin, every weight of the sin that does so easily beset us and snare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the contradiction of sinners. Now here's the point. You have to endure life's contradictions and know that God can make something bad become something good. God can do something good in the worst season of your life. He works all things together for good. And so no matter what's happening, there's no wasted seasons. There's nothing of without consequence. Your God can make something good come out of something bad in your story. So David's, uh, you know, he finds, he finds these five smooth stones. And then the Bible says he does something unusual. His behavior next is kind of, uh, extraordinary. The Bible says he ran toward the battle. He ran toward Goliath. He didn't, you know, sheepishly. Why? Because he already knew the outcome. See, we don't function hoping for victory. We, we function from a place of victory. We're already more than conquerors. Christ has already won. The devil's already defeated. Amen. Sin has already been crushed at the cross. And so we function from that place of, uh, of the exaltation, the victory of Christ Jesus in the earth. And so when we understand that, so as he runs toward Goliath, an amazing behavior happens. So what happens is Goliath sees him. And, of course, it, first of all, the closer he gets to Goliath, the more Goliath is just um, uh, offended that they've sent a boy against him. And so the Bible says Goliath opens his mouth and begins to curse David. And so he's not cussing him like we would use profanity. Not you, but someone you know would use profanity. He's, he's not cussing him. He's cursing him. So he's, he's, he's despising him. And Goliath sees him, and he, he begins to um, mock him. He says, you come at me with a, like a stick, the skinny little boy. 
and he's belittling him. And as that's happening, um, something important is happening. So the Lord said this to me years ago, Michael, never let the devil have the last word. So when the devil opens your mouth, his mouth, and says something to you, either through some person or by a thought or by negative circumstance, don't just sit there and take it. I was sitting now, gosh, it'd be 15 years ago in a doctor's office in California. Doctor looked at me and says, you have cancer. We think it's this kind of specific cancer and it's incurable. And it's a, you know, it's a blah, blah, blah. Give me all the, the medical factual parts of it. And as he was talking about it, um, he's going on and on and on. And so I, I just leaned over his table and I said this. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. It's Psalm 118, verse 17. It stunned him. He said, he said, what? I wasn't being rude. I wasn't being inappropriate. I was fighting a curse by faith. I said, I shall not live. I shall not die, excuse me, but live and declare the works of the Lord. So that kind of stupefied him. He ended up kind of, you know, ushering up the doors. Yeah, so I had, so it's true, I was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, all, all kinds of things happened. Six months later, no cancer in my body. Cancer, no cancer. Cancer, no cancer. So, he, here's, you can't wait until the end of this year to tell life what kind of year it was. God like you in March to prophesy what's going to happen in December going to happen in November, October, September, August, throughout the year. So we declare God's word. And so David said to him in verse 45, verse 40, yeah, you come at me with a, a spear and a sword, but I come at you with the name of, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. So David knew it wasn't a battle between men, it was a battle between two kingdoms. See, if you study the life of David, he never lost a military battle. Why? He never engaged in a battle God wasn't already in. And he never engaged in a battle God hadn't called him to. He inquired of the Lord. That's a common phrase. You can see it six or seven times in David's journey. David got, would pray, God, is this, is this something you want me to do? God said, yeah. Yes or no. And so when he did it, he never lost because he never got in a situation God wasn't already in, hadn't called him to. And so David's now in this circumstance, and he says, okay, you're coming down, big boy, because it's not between me and you, it's between you and God. And David understood that anyone on Israel's side could have defeated him because it was their God that would bring the victory, not their military might. David didn't defeat, he didn't defeat Goliath by the way he fought. He defeated him by the way he thought. So he thought about the consequence of this thing, and it was really true. So David said, this day, everybody say this day. So one of the things the church, I'm really excited you're planning into the church and opening. So the, the, the church kind of historically is good about postponing things God would like to do today. Now faith is, Hebrews says in chapter 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so there is a presentness. There is a now activity in something God wants to do. And, and David said, now, today, this day, God will deliver you to my hands. I will strike you, cut off your head. This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines behind you to the birds of the air. He said, 
I'm not only coming after you, I'm going to leverage my victory over you to, to wipe out that whole army behind you. So he's thinking in terms of what God wants to do. Then the whole assembly will know that God is not saved by sword or spear, for the battle's the Lord's. Everybody say, the battle's the Lord's. So what, what does that mean? It's God's fight. It's God's fight. Faith is your fight. Miracles are God's fight. Breakthroughs are God's. So, so God does the supernatural when we have faith. And so our job is to do, 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 you know, we believe God does the healing. God does the delivering, the helping, the breakthrough, whatever it is. And so he said the battle's not yours. It's not men's. It's not militarily. It's not, it's not by our weaponry. It's the battle's the Lord's. And so by knowing that, it's important, okay? So David knew this. Um, God can't do it until you say it. David defeated Goliath by the way he thought and the way he talked. Pastor, I got some giants. Good, let's kill them. Let's kill them by renewing our mind, thinking differently, and talking differently. Let's stop talking how big the devil is. Let's start talking how big God is. Let's stop talking how strong the devil is or how strong the problem is. Let's start talking about how strong our God is. And let's not be a generation that misses what God can do because we think our problem is too big for God to change. Anywhere in the world, anywhere in our life, God can do anything. Amen. Today's a miracle day for someone in this church. So they're running toward each other. David gets out of sling. He knocks the, the giant unconscious. And uh, Goliath is laying on the ground, either dead, I think he's unconscious. And, but the Bible says this very specifically, and there was no sword in David's hand. David did not have the proper utilities, resources, a weaponry to finish the task. This is an important point because a lot of people want God to give them everything before they do anything. But what you find out is God gives you the weapons when you need them in the battle. Well, Pastor, if God gives me the money, I'm going to obey him. Well, you're never going to obey him. you got to obey him, and the money will show up. you got to obey him. The people will show up, the resources, the buildings, whatever. And, and so in all of life. And so the idea that, so I just want to advance that a little bit about Goliath's sword. Goliath, since he was a young, since he was David's age, Goliath was the most feared and most successful warrior on the planet. He'd never lost a battle. In fact, in the Chaldean paraphrased version of history, a secular uh, historical narrative of the time of this time in history, the, Goliath boasts that he was the one that carried the Ark of the Covenant out of Shiloh into the Philistia. He lifted it up by himself. And so he was a person of, you know, some real consequence. And, uh, but his sword now, since he had it from a youth, this massive, huge sword, had made hundreds, if not thousands, of little children orphans. Made hundreds or thousands of women widows. It had done nothing that caused havoc and hurt and pain, destruction and, and, and trauma and injustice for decades. Now it's laying on the ground next to Goliath. And David sees Goliath unconscious. He sees a sword there. He reaches down and he touches the sword. The moment he touched it, he redeemed it for a heavenly purpose. There's no such thing as an unredeemable person, an unredeemable place, an unredeemable environment. 
the moment God touches it, it changes. My last thought about this is this, that in our stories, so often we kind of put a period, but God would only put a comma. Your loving God is able to make the worst thing that ever happened to you become the best thing he ever does through you. This sword that represented by its historical use, the greatest weapon against Israel in a generation, suddenly became a trophy for God. God's able to take the worst thing the devil's done to you and make it become the best thing he does through you. That's what our God can do. I declare today that you're a giant slayer, that you're, you're a history maker, that God has some things in your story, your journey, your life that he's going to do incredible things with. That God's not done telling his story through your life. No matter where you are in life today, I pray that there would just be a, a light that goes on saying, you know what, I'm going to relook at this. I'm going to revisit this. I'm going to reevaluate my life, my standing, and my story, and just believe for God to do some amazing things. Let's just give God the chance. Amen. God healed me from depression. God gave me a second chance. God, God's done so, so many amazing things today, tomorrow for us. We'll have, you know, church service and 18 campuses and just crazy stuff, 100 nationalities. Great things will happen because God doesn't throw people away. He doesn't give up on people. He doesn't give up on our story. And, uh, you know, 25 years ago, my wife, my, my life was in ruins after our church. We were building a big church in uh, our city and our treasure embezzled all of our money, 20 million American dollars. And we lost, we were building a 5,000 seat, 4,800 seat auditorium. We lost everything. The church dwindled down from 4,000 to just 150 people, 140 people. And I thought my life was over. I became depressed. Everyone gave up on me. But Jesus brought me back. He healed my heart. He taught me to forgive. He taught me how, how to recover. And man, oh man, um, God is so good. And if God can give me a comeback, you know, I, I gave you 30 seconds. I, I wrote 200 page book about it. God can do anything if we don't quit. And there are some, there are, you know, in this room, I, 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 I wonder, I wonder who's going to be God's David. Well, everyone else kind of cowers and say, well, nothing can be done about this national problem or this city problem or this cultural problem or this family problem. You be the one who stands up and say, you know what? God can do something about that. God can bring you victory. God can turn this thing around. God can heal and help and save, deliver, redeem and recover and restore. There's nothing God can't do. Amen? Come on, lift your hands to heaven if you believe God's not done in your story and the best is yet to come and God's got to plan for your life that doesn't depend when people leave God stays God thank you for your faithfulness thank you God for your work in our lives we honor you we praise you we worship you in the mighty name of Jesus thank you God I pray God for anyone hurting anyone fighting the scourge anyone under the weight the burden God of hopelessness or discouragement just lift that off them today. Give them, God, a fresh, a fresh, encouraging, uh, motivating, exciting, inspiring outlook on what you can do. God, thank you for your faithfulness. In Christ's name.
We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equippers Church Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipperschurch.com.